And good morning to you, Tucson and all of Southern Arizona. Welcome live here out of the 1030 Voice Studios for Tipping Point with Zach Yenser here on AM 1030 KBY The Voice. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. Happy Friday to you. Uh, around here, we call it a Bola Tie Friday. Mr. Matt Neely making the magic happen on the other side of the glass, as always. First, a good morning to you and a happy Friday to you and all of our listeners. How are you? Morning, Zach. Ready for a beautiful, beautiful spring weekend in southern Arizona. Matt, is this the last great spring weekend before it gets blistering hot? What is your what is your magic eight ball telling you called the National Weather Service? I am going to say no. There will be other great <laughs> okay. weekends, okay. and I, I'm sure uh, I'm sure we'll have some other mild weekends before it's all out. So, I, I certainly I certainly hope so. We can push that off as long. Uh, as long as possible. You can but, call uh, me a liar in uh, June, but uh, that's what I'm I'm going with. We we might have a couple nice weekends in May. We'll see. Uh, Matt will always tell you the truth day to day on the weather, but he will always be an optimist, right? <laughs> well, today. <laughs> today. Uh, well, it is Friday, Friday off of a short week. This week flew by, lots of great conversation. Uh, it's an open phone line hour this hour. Here's what is on tap on my end, and you're welcome to join in the conversation. Uh, To to close out the show, let me back into it. Uh, There was an interesting interview with Congressman Ruben Gallego in Politico talking about his view of how Arizona is changing in light of the questions he continues to get about will he challenge sitting Senator Sinema uh, in the next election go-round. And some of that dialogue got me thinking bigger picture about what does Arizona look like electorally? What do the numbers tell us? And what does it mean for the midterms? And and I'll give you a sneak peek. I think both parties, by the numbers, don't understand where Arizona is going. And so I'll make my case. We'll have that fun conversation. Some of y'all know my major was political science. I'm a nerd about this. Policy matters. I say that all the time on the show. Uh, but the numbers and kind of maneuvering around uh, around politics, it is a science, believe it or not. And it's, it's interesting to me. So hopefully it'll be interesting to you. We'll get there later. Uh, but not before a conversation I'm always looking forward to, especially looking forward to it today. Uh, Dr. Ravi Shah, governing board member for the Tucson Unified School District, is with us for a couple segments today to continue our prior conversation looking at Arizona's test scores, particularly in TUSD, what do we do about it? Of course, the always looming conversation of school funding um, or not. Without further ado, Dr. Ravi Shah, good morning to you. Thanks for being with us on this Friday. How are you? Good morning, Zach. Thanks for having me, and thanks to your listeners for uh, tuning in this morning. Absolutely. Well, you ran on being uh, very focused on the budget and being transparent about the budget and talking with people about the budget. And we like talking about budgets here on the show. So it makes sense. And uh, again, we are shortening the time in between our conversations. And I think that's uh, that's a good thing. I want to dive into test scores and school funding. That's kind of where I want to land, Ravi. But from your seat on a dais, is there anything else quick to share with TUSD parents and those interested in the school district before we get into that? Absolutely. Uh, pay attention to this rigid plan coming out. Uh, TUSD has been working uh, actually through the last couple of years through the pandemic, developing uh, a new strategic plan. I know we won't go into details uh, about it today. Uh, it's still being finalized and we presented to the governing board, I believe, in May sometime. 
but it's going to have a lot of great um, ideas about innovations for the future and how TUSD can really help prepare uh, the workforce of the future and, and our students for jobs that don't even exist today. Uh, so really excited to get the community feedback. Uh, there's forums scheduled, uh, and so uh, we're, we're hoping to get some great community feedback and really have a, a strong strategic plan that's available for us to uh, measure um, success with over time. Uh, Dr. Trujillo, our superintendent, will be putting together uh, dashboard metrics that will have uh, a way to measure uh, progress on our, on our plan over the next couple of years and really hold uh, our district accountable to really progress and, and, and make it an impact for the future. Yeah, Dr. Shaw, I think that the where we want to land today actually tracks with everything you just said really well. You know, and I, I, I wanted to preface where I'm going to go next in the sense that, um, you know, my daughter is doing pre-K right now in a TUSD school. Uh, we're excited about the, the TUSD school that we're going to have her in for, for kindergarten. So, you know, th these questions now come as a, a TUSD parent, if you will, not throwing rocks or stones. Uh, but related to the workforce of the future, related to that strategic plan, uh, last year we saw grade three proficiency in math. By, by grade three, proficiency in math was 14%. In English, it was 17%. By grade eight, those numbers are now down to 6% in math and 13% in English. Uh, that's just not doing anybody any favors. And we sort of touched on this, our last conversation, Ravi, but uh, you're a relative newcomer to the board. What do we do about this? How do these numbers get up? They were impacted by COVID, but not by that much. They were very low before. How does TUSD turn this around? So, you know, great question. You know, I have a, a fourth grader in TUSD, uh, and like you, I have uh, kids in preschool, and so I'll have, uh, hopefully in a year and a half, I'll have three kids in TUSD. So it's, it's imperative just for my own family, let alone for our community, to make sure uh, TUSD is really succeeding uh, to uh, educate um, our, our students and, and make sure that they're proficient in English and writing and mathematics and all the other uh, fields that we need to, uh, to be successful um, in the next generation. Uh, you know, there was a lot of issues with COVID statewide, nationwide, uh, I think worldwide, uh, uh, proficiency decreased. And uh, I'm not sure if, if your listeners are, are parents uh, or have kids in, in TUSD or other school districts or charter schools or private schools, uh, but I'm sure many of our, our parent listeners or grandparent listeners saw just as students came back to the school year, you know, just how behind so many of them were. Uh, and and hopefully have seen immense growth over this past year. Uh, I've seen that in my own fourth grader, uh, this immense growth. I am so proud of what she's been able to accomplish this year in terms of her, her writing proficiency, her math. Like, she's belting out numbers when I quiz her, you know, like she wasn't able to do a few months ago uh, on, on division and multiplication. You know, she is doing amazing uh, and really flourishing this year after really struggling at the beginning, like so many of our students around the country and around the world have, um, have, have suffered you know, together. So we're hoping to see immense growth this year uh, from our students. We're, we're doing testing right now, um, Zach, and uh, that's on, undergoing in our third graders and our, and our, our throughout, throughout in all the grade levels. Uh, and we're hoping to see some immense growth uh, from what we saw as students came back in the fall. Uh, and that's going to drive a lot of school grades. We might see a bump in school grades. Uh, and 
the question is how to maintain that, how to maintain the growth and how that translates into overall proficiency uh, so that these school grades don't just drop back down, you know, a year and a half later uh, and we're able to maintain this, you know, for our community. A lot of that is going to be with uh, so many of the positions that we funded through the COVID relief uh, money that we have in our schools. Uh, because of those funds that we have from the federal government, uh, over $200 million of extra funds for TUSD uh, over, over a couple of years, we're able to bring in uh, different positions that help students um, that are behind or struggling uh, catch up and succeed and get extra training and tutoring and help support our teachers with different levels of uh, tiered interventions uh, for our students. Uh, and our hope is to be able to continue those programs for our students, but of course, we know that these funds are temporary. The COVID relief funds are temporary. And you know, I'd love to get into the budget and kind of what you know, your listeners need to really advocate for uh, on the state level to make sure that we're able to get the funds we need to continue positions and to continue this work uh, that we're doing for our students. Uh, Ravi Shah is with us, governing board member for the Tucson Unified School District. Uh, and I know we're bumping up against a break, Ravi, but I don't want to break before I ask a quick follow-up which I think will lead into the next segment, honestly. But pre-COVID, uh, those eight, grade eight math scores, math was 11% proficiency, English was 18%. So COVID brought a 5% drop, but those numbers were still in the low teens before COVID. It, 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 am I hearing that that your hope is that the new positions added from the $200 million over two years, was that the the problem before as well was was it lack of teachers lack of funding those numbers were that low before covid to me there's something systemically that needs a shift is if that makes sense well there's no silver bullet and i think your your audience is smart and they know there's going to be no silver bullet to to solve these issues you know how you know in a, in a majority um free and reduced lunch district like TUSD is that has a lot of issues of poverty and so many other factors going in. What do we need to do as a district different to move the needle uh, on education and, and proficiency for our students? Uh, one of the solutions is going to be making sure we have a lot of support in place. You know, if a teacher has 20, 25, 30 students and so many of them are, are struggling with, with proficiency, what are the other systems in place to train the teachers to make sure that they're ready to do the, the early interventions, that we have staff in place that can work with students that are struggling and do the more intense interventions. Uh, so making sure we have that in place, making sure we have the counselors and social workers in place because you know, our students aren't going to be focused on math, reading, and, um, and, and writing skills uh, if they're struggling with mental health and other needs. Uh, making sure we're addressing the, so many other uh, needs of our students. And the one thing that this COVID relief funds let us do is to build in the staff and the redundancies and other folks in place that can help support the work that's already being, doing, uh, being done in our schools uh, and really meet some of those other needs of our students that uh, you know, otherwise aren't being met so that they can focus on, on learning and, and proficiency. And, um, you know, my concern is, you know, once the funds go away, how are we going to be able to continue the services that we uh, know that we need for our district students, um, especially those that are coming from you know, lower income family levels? Dr. Ravi Shah, as we've said, is with us this morning, our Friday show. Let's put a pin in it there. We'll go to a quick break. 
On our way back, we'll continue this conversation, talk school funding, other questions uh, as we analyze, uh, you know, test scores aren't everything, but they are a metric and we can measure uh, success and movement around those. We'll be right back. More conversation to come. Tipping Point with Zach Yenser returns on 1030 The Voice. People of Tucson, 1030 The Voice, trusted local news and talk. The economy is moving forward, and Arizona businesses are looking at new opportunities and challenges as we emerge from COVID-19. Leading companies are planning how to respond to new business and rebuild their teams and are looking for critical talent now. The right talent in key positions will make all the difference, and having a trusted and dedicated talent acquisition partner will give you an edge. Devin and her team at Talent Store will connect you with top talent while positively impacting time to hire, retention, and your employer brand. Learn more by visiting yourtalentstore.com and schedule time with Devin and her team. Why I love where I live. It's a brand and movement that began here in Tucson to spark gratitude and celebrate the good things about where we live. Located in the open air Mercado San Agustin Annex, just west of downtown, it's a great place to shop or spend time with friends as you enjoy food, drink, and other shopping options close by. Find gifts, toys, books, and clothes that will help you celebrate where you live. Visit them at the Annex off the I-10 at Cushing and Avenida del Convento. Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is pleased to present the Patrick Martinez Look What You Created exhibition and his first solo museum exhibition in the American Southwest. Los Angeles-based artist Patrick Martinez explores sites of personal, civic, and cultural loss sustained over recent years in America. Opening just this month through April 24th, you can go see it in the Castor Family Wing of Latin American Art. TucsonMuseumOfArt.org to get your tickets now. Tucson homeowners, do you have equity in your home and would like to sell but are afraid that you won't be able to find a new place in this market? Well, you're not alone. That's why CNC Partners has put together an innovative way to make your next home dream come true. They work with local investors who can purchase your home for cash, pay above market value, waive the appraisal, and provide you with the option to lease your home back to you for 12 months until you can find a new home in the Tucson market. If you'd like to see what that cash offer might look like with no obligation, go to Tucson Cash Offer. We have exciting news to share here at Impact of Southern Arizona. We have expanded our food bank into a grocery shopping style experience where over 500 families a month come in for food, clothing, and support. Now, Impact needs you. Can you or your business put on a food drive for food and hygiene items that others would normally go without? Learn more and contact us at www.impactsoaz.org. When you manage your money with a credit union, you're taking true ownership of your finances and how your money impacts the community. Stop letting banking just happen to you. Bring your money home to Vantage West. Federally insured by NCUA. Hi, this is Tom Sullivan. Join me weeknights from 7 to 10 for The Tom Sullivan Show on 1030 KVOI, The Voice. (laughs) 
And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona on this beautiful, sunny Friday morning. You're listening to Tipping Point with Zach Yenser. I'm your host, Zach Yenser, here on AM1030 KVY The Voice. We are live on the air with Dr. Ravi Shaw, governing board member for the Tucson Unified School District, catching up on a number of items, uh, one of which is the strategic strategic, try that again, strategic plan <laughs> coming coming out soon. We touched on that very briefly, but then also test scores that we have seen both post-COVID and pre-COVID in terms of math and English proficiency and what that says about uh, what needs work going forward. Uh, I did have this question from a listener, Dr. Uh, Shaw. Uh, do you know offhand or even a ballpark what percentage of classes in TUSD are being taught by substitute teachers? Is that an issue that you and the governing board are having to look at and manage? I don't have that percentage offhand. We can definitely get that. Uh, we know that you know in the wintertime when we had the Omicron surge, uh, it was a lot higher. Uh, a lot of folks were, were exposed or getting sick or having symptoms or just needed to quarantine or isolate uh, because of exposures. Uh, and so we had a lot more classrooms that were taught by substitute teachers uh, during the course of the winter. Uh, we know that the numbers have gone down significantly for COVID as well as other respiratory illnesses. Uh, and uh, we're at a much uh, better place in terms of um, staffing and making sure that uh, the teachers are in the classrooms and, and healthy. In, in the sense, I think the the reason that uh, uh, that person asked the question was probably in the context of you know, a lot of the conversation right now, even around the skinny budget that didn't happen. And we have $5 billion at the state level in terms of surplus. And many people have many ideas about where those dollars can go. Uh, but some would say we're trying to have a crisis in teachers who don't feel like they are paid enough uh, leaving the field. What are you seeing? Is that happening locally at, at TUSD? Is there a concern in the district of not being able to retain and attract teachers? This is a huge concern right now. Um, we, we can't compete against surrounding states and draw folks. We can't keep student teachers uh, here in Arizona after they graduate because they can go to New Mexico, they can go to um, Las Vegas, they can go other places that, you know, we always compare to California, but they have a huge cost of living change. But they can go to other places that don't have that much of a difference in the cost of living but make a significant higher salary. Uh, so it's really hard to compete in Arizona, let alone uh, here in Tucson for teachers. So this is going to be a big concern uh, going forward. How do we recruit and retain uh, the best and brightest uh, to support our students here? Uh, and one thing, Zach, that we, we I kind of alluded to and, and would love to touch with your listeners about, you know, I, I was actually, uh, I don't know if you know this, Zach, but my undergraduate degree is in political science as well. You mentioned that you're opening, and so I'd love to know oh, that, know that. on, yeah. on uh, what's going on here in our community. And I'm not sure if your listeners know, but uh, over 60% of Pima County voted in favor of Prop 208 in 2020. That was the Invest in Ed uh, proposition uh, to uh, have the surcharge on, on the highest income uh, earners in Arizona to help fund public education. Uh, and that was overturned by the courts, and there's been a lot of fights about it since uh, it was passed by a majority throughout the state, but over 60% here in Pima County. Uh, and I imagine your listeners, you know, want to see public education succeed. And I just implore them to call the, your state legislatures, call the governor, uh, and work to elect pro-public education folks uh, to the state legislature and to uh, our state offices this fall, that we can use the $5 billion surplus that we have and other sources of funding to make sure that we're not starving our public schools for the resources it needs to really help support 
you know, those that are coming from the lowest income brackets, you know, succeed in our public education. Yeah, and I think, Ravi, that's, um, you know, one of the reasons why I wanted to continue this conversation is, you know, I've said this on the show, too, is that you know, the success of our region in so many ways relies on the success of Tucson Unified School District, our largest district here, the second largest um, in the state. But I think a lot of people who do want to support uh, the work of neighborhood schools and public schools, even if, even if someone listening is pro-school choice, um, having that choice available is important. Open enrollment, I think, honestly fits under that, that, that umbrella too. But ultimately, we all have to want to support the success of TUSD for workforce and many other things. And I think the challenge is that we see these proficiency scores keep going down, 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 down. And we wonder, well, what is the investment that we are putting in, which is over 50% of the state budget as it exists? We're not seeing the return on our investment. So why should we uh, support more? I think a lot of listeners are asking that question, too. Well, I think we invest so much little in Arizona to public education compared to other other areas, other states. And just, you know, your listeners are, are probably higher educated than your average population here in Tucson. You know, and, and what the students need that are coming from our households are different than those coming from those with, with poverty or that don't have the education levels. You know, today my daughter has a book report due, a multi-page book report. She's a fourth grader. Last night I was going through it, correcting errors, uh, spelling errors, punctuation errors differentiate between the different kinds of theirs, they are theirs and other theirs, and teaching her those things, uh, printing out division worksheets and working with those with her. And those are things that, you know, parents that come from a higher education backgrounds and higher means can do with their students, that students that come from lower socioeconomic backgrounds that don't have the grammar skills to be able to edit their kids' work or really help support them on, you know, multiplication division tables and other things are doing. They're not doing that. That, that doesn't exist. And you know, we don't want to throw this money at the problem, but we need the positions. We need people in place that can support the students that come from different backgrounds that don't have the family support to, you know, go through their homework and work with them and, and teach them further and, and continue that process. You know, that, that's the reality of so many of our students. When we have, I believe the statistic is over 80% of our students in QSD come from, you know, or have free and reduced lunch, that come from lower income households. And those are different needs than, than students yeah. in the foothills or students in Oro Valley or students in other areas that have higher income or even, you know, families here in TUSD like ours, you know, need it from the schools. And we, we can't starve our schools and, and expect that we're going to increase proficiency scores when you have a majority minority in a majority uh, impoverished district like TUSD. And we saw from uh, even a study session item at the Tucson City Council meeting this week that uh, those numbers are growing, unfortunately, of certainly asset-limited, income-constrained individuals. I think they call that Alice. Um, uh, Dr. Shaw, any chance you can stay over for a couple more minutes? Um, if not, that's okay. We have a, a caller, and then I have one more question, if you can. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Happy to do wonderful. That. Wonderful. I know you're busy, but I really appreciate uh, your time. Uh, let's do that. Let's go to our bottom of the hour news break. I've got one more question. I'm enjoying this uh, in, uh, in-depth kind of conversation. I hope you are as well. We'll get to your calls on the other side. We'll be right back here on 1030 The Voice Tipping Point. with.
Why I love where I live. It's a brand and movement that began here in Tucson to spark gratitude and celebrate the good things about where we live. Located in the open air Mercado San Agustin Annex, just west of downtown, it's a great place to shop or spend time with friends as you enjoy food, drink, and other shopping options close by. Find gifts, toys, books, and clothes that will help you celebrate where you live. Visit them at the Annex off the I-10 at Cushing and Avenida del Convento. Tucson, your Tucson Museum of Art is pleased to present the Patrick Martinez Look What You Created exhibition and his first solo museum exhibition in the American Southwest. Los Angeles-based artist Patrick Martinez explores sites of personal, civic, and cultural loss sustained over recent years in America. Opening just this month through April 24th, you can go see it in the Casser Family Wing of Latin American Art. TucsonMuseumOfArt.org to get your tickets now. Tucson homeowners, do you have equity in your home and would like to sell but are afraid that you won't be able to find a new place in this market? Well, you're not alone. That's why CNC Partners has put together an innovative way to make your next home dream come true. They work with local investors who can purchase your home for cash, pay above market value, waive the appraisal, and provide you with the option to lease your home back to you for 12 months until you can find a new home in the Tucson market. If you'd like to see what that cash offer might look like with no obligation, go to Tucson Cash Offer. When you manage your money with a credit union, you're taking true ownership of your finances and how your money impacts the community. Stop letting banking just happen to you. Bring your money home to Vantage West. Federally insured by NCUA. Helping you make better money decisions is what the Ramsey Show is all about. Today at 1 p.m. on 1030 The Voice. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona. Happy Friday to all of you listening. We are live here with Dr. Ravi Shaw, governing board member for the Tucson Unified School District, a wide-ranging and uh, kind of organic conversation here uh, about recent test score numbers around math and English proficiency. Uh, they're not good, and I appreciate that Dr. Shaw agrees that they're not good, and and uh, has been very clear that they need to get better. We've been trying to dig into why, uh, and certainly as we uh, start talking about how do we invest state dollars, uh, we're asking, is money the solution, and what would that money go towards? And just having a conversation about that, uh, Dr. Shaw has given us an extra segment of time, and we appreciate that too. Let's go to our phone lines. I know we've got some on the phone lines who've been waiting I believe Matt is on the line. Matt, thanks for holding over. Go ahead. You're live on the air. Yeah, you know. The, Let's see. Do we still have? The essence, there we go. Can, can you hear me? The essence of it is this, Zach. Uh, I've, I've watched TUSD for 10 years. Um, every, we, know the, we know the state of Arizona is at the bottom. We understand that. We know that uh, when it comes to funding. But. Irregardless of funding, the state of Arizona has always managed to somehow educate its kids. But in the last 10 years, I've watched it get the situation get worse and worse and worse. Now, they got everything they wanted with the red for red. I mean, relatively. They, they have been flooded with money with regards to COVID and the federal government coming in. Okay. There's not a government entity out there that isn't flush from COVID money. Now, 
I get all the complaints about uh, the issue, and I completely understand that we're dealing with a zip code problem uh, and that the parents of the kids who are failing don't realize the implications of their children, unlike Dr. Rafi, who his own child, he, he, he is ensuring is succeeding. And there is a disparity. But, Rafi, I am telling you, I'm sick of excuses. I think I got the, the point of where he's going, Dr. Shaw, uh, and maybe I'll rephrase it as well. That was going to be kind of my question. A good friend of mine, Morgan Abraham, wrote a really uh, good piece um, about how, look, we've got $5 billion budget surplus. We don't need to raise taxes. We don't need to cut spending from other areas of government. Is his point. Let's invest. But the article didn't say, here's what we need to invest in. Here's the dollar amount that it is. And I've always struggled with that. And so to Matt's point, Dr. Shaw, what are the one or two things from your perspective within TUSD? We need investment in these things. It'll cost this much. It's going to raise the test scores. What are your thoughts on that? No, thank you, Zach. And thank you, Matt, for calling in. And, you know, and I, I appreciate your frustration. Um, I'm a, I wouldn't say I'm a perfectionist, but, um, you know, I, I look at our district and agree. Like, we, we don't want to make excuses. That's not why I'm here, Zach. And I hope, I hope your listeners understand I'm not here to make excuses for the district. I'm, you know, I'm trying to understand the problem. So I'm, I'm not from the education world. I'm a family physician by trade. I, I you know, lead a nonprofit here in Tucson. Uh, so I'm learning a lot over this last 15 months about, you know, what are the disparities? What are the barriers? What, what is going on in the education and what are the reasons, you know, why so many of our students are struggling? And so that's something I'm learning. I'm going to schools and visiting and seeing what's going on on our campuses to try to understand the problem. And so to, to be more effective uh, in my role um, that the community has entrusted me in um, to, to serve our, our school district and serve our students. Uh, and so, you know, your, to your question to the specific things in terms of, you know, I think Matt was alluding to what are best practices? You know, can we, can we implement some best practices in a smaller scale to show some improvements? Uh, and we're looking around the country to see what are best practices, what are best practices for our middle schools. You know, that came up a lot in a governing board meeting a few weeks ago, and you brought that up, Zach, earlier in our conversation. Uh, and we look at our middle schools and how they're, you know, our students are really struggling to, to improve their proficiency year after year, you know, over the last, you know, uh, decade or so. Um, what are best models? We're looking at, you know, speaking to the superintendent recently about this, we're looking at schools in, uh, that also have high levels of, of poverty uh, amongst their students. Uh, in Texas and other states, you know, to see what are they doing differently uh, in terms of different models. You know, are they, you know, moving to a 7-8 model middle school where they can concentrate and focus, you know, work on the older middle schoolers and keep sixth grade with, you know, elementary school. Uh, that's not something we're at all ready for, but something that we need to look into and see, you know, what can we do differently um, to, to, you know, keep uh, parents in TUSD that otherwise would move and, and then scores plummet when, you know, uh, uh, certain students stay and certain students, you know, leave the district. Uh, and what can we do within our classrooms to, to really make that impact? Mm -hmm. uh, I think, you know, we're going to get some data really shortly uh, in the next couple of months, you know, from this past school year and what has been the benefit of having so many people to intervene with our students. You know, we, we, I'll throw out a bunch of acronyms, MTSPS coordinators and CSP individuals and so many other uh, folks that are, doing those interventions you know, with the teachers, with the students directly to try to work on uh, catch-up and growth. And I hope we'll see some really positive results uh, coming out of these test scores. But then 
we go back to how to maintain that. You know, are we showing success with these um, positions? How are we going to continue funding them? Because, you know, as you look at our projections over the next couple of years, uh, where our budget stands in QSD, you know, we don't have funding for all these positions once the COVID relief money from the federal government goes away. Uh, and if we see that impact, see that difference, you know, for our students, how do we continue that? And that has to come from the state. Yeah, I was going to say, and, and I was thinking it right before you went there, uh, Dr. Ravi Shah is with us, governing board member for TUSD, is really this $200 million from COVID or, over the two-year period is going to be, uh, I think, an answer to many people's questions, you know, uh, include those who, are, uh, who want to see more positions and more funding uh, and those who are, you know, and those who are skeptical, I think the reality is, is there are both and certainly probably both listening today. I think this is going to be a, a living laboratory um, in a, uh, I think, a school district where we know that the administrative spend also is uh, higher. It was more recently uh, than, than other school districts. Uh, is there one or two, as we let you go here, Dr. Shaw, is there one or two specific things this $200 million is going to that you are most closely uh, looking at? You mentioned a variety, but is there one or two interventions um, that are using those dollars that you're most most watching right now? Yeah, yeah. there are definitely a couple of interventions we're, we're looking at, and we're going to have really important conversations uh, as we get into the fall of how to sustain. Um, those are our counselors and social workers. <clears throat> and, and I apologize, my numbers are off, but uh, I believe we have over 50 positions we added to the district uh, from our COVID relief money, just in, in counselors and social workers. Uh, and as students came back, you know, from the pandemic, you know, adults have so much, you know, more mental health issues, let alone our students that had so much isolation and, and, and social anxiety and so many other factors that went into um, a post-COVID world. Uh, addressing the mental health needs of our students is going to be paramount to, to success on the academic side. Uh, we, can't, we can't expect them to, to really flourish uh, and, and grow and and be proficient academically if they're really dealing with depression, anxiety, and so many other mental health factors. So getting those uh, positions uh, funded permanently, having those mental health supports, behavioral health supports for our students are gonna be really crucial. I think the other ones are gonna be um, just those interventions, the reading interventions, the math interventions uh, that we're doing in our schools and giving the support to the teachers uh, to continue those. And uh, those are positions that we need to continue funding, uh, that we need support for. Um, and I think we're going to see some huge gains from this school year, uh, from having all that extra support in our sites, because they directly work with our students. They relieve the pressure from our teachers. Uh, and, then, and I hope we're going to see some data that, that show that made a big outcome for our students this year. Dr. Ravi Shah, uh, you've already given us uh, an extra segment more than was asked for. I really appreciate that. Again, I will end as I think I opened that, you know, I am now a TUSD parent uh, and one who is excited about the school that we're, uh, that we're sending our daughter to and she's getting to do pre-K and TUSD. So, so, so my goal is to dig in with you as you are uh, figuring some of these things out too, Dr. Shah, and ask questions and try to figure out how do we turn uh, a situation around that has been systemically growing uh, around a uh, uh, lack of results uh, out of TUSD? But my, my questions are not to throw rocks and stones as much 
as a shared uh, goal, Dr. Shaw's our kids go through the system that they're getting the best education possible. So I appreciate uh, what you're doing. I appreciate your time, uh, Ravi, and, and thanks for uh, coming on this forum this morning. Absolutely, Zach. Thanks for having me. And, you know, I, again, it's not about throwing rocks and stones, as you mentioned, but it's about finding solutions. You know, how can we really make an impact for the district that's, you know, building a workforce for, for our region? It's so important. Absolutely. Absolutely. Zach, Dr. Shaw, enjoy that. For you and your family. Yes, absolutely. If anybody wants to reach out to you, by the way, before we let you go, if they want to reach out to you individually to ask uh, you any questions offline, is there a way that they can do that? Yep, you can send me an email, ravi.shah at tosd1.org, uh, R-A-V-I dot S-H-A-H at tosd1.org. If you don't remember that, just Google TOSD Governing Board. All of our contact information for all the Governing Board members are on the, it was on the left the last time I saw the, the webpage. So you can just Google TOSD Governing Board and get a hold of us and, and happy to continue the conversation and get some feedback on how we can you know, do better for our students in our, in our community. Super. Dr. Shaw, enjoy that weekend out there that Matt is so excited about. Uh, and uh, <laughs> enjoy a Tucson weekend. We'll do this again soon. Absolutely. You too, Zach. And thank you. Thank you, sir. Tucson, that does it for our conversation with Dr. Shaw, Governing Board Member for TUSC. When we come back, the last topic of the day, uh, I want to talk about an interesting piece that was in Politico, an interview with Ruben Gallego, the congressman in Arizona, who many expect or think or in some cases want to run against sitting Senator Sinema. Uh, some alliteration there for y'all. And, and I want to talk more specifically about his thoughts on how Arizona is changing. And I think both parties do not understand the Arizona of today. And I'll make my case and uh, see what y'all think. We'll be right back after a short break here on Tipping Point. I'm your host, Zach Yenser, here on 1030 The Voice. From Oro Valley to Vail and everywhere in between, 1030 The Voice, trusted local news and talk. In 1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the nearly 60 startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges currently under construction, they are integral in shaping the future of Southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. Zach Yenzo here, and I'm so excited to be a part of the launch of the Little Love Burger as they're growing in Tucson. Located just a few hours down from the Rialto Theater, Little Love Burger serves up the juiciest scratch-made hamburgers, loaded hot dogs, have ice cream milkshakes, lovable local brews, and the most addictive breakfast sandwiches. Little Love Burger is open Sunday through Thursday, 11 to 9, and Friday and Saturday, 11 to 10. You can follow their beat on Instagram and Facebook at Little Love Burger Tucson. Don't you want some burger to love? Zach Yenser here, host of Tipping Point, and I want to tell you that Decibel Coffee Works is the coffee we drink at home and while we're out and about. Run by a great local team of people who care about the Tucson community, you'll find a variety of great coffee drinks, beans, pastries, and more. There's also a rumor ice cream is on its way in 2022. To see their full menu and varieties of roasted beans from around the world, visit DecibelCoffeeWorks.com and visit them at 267 South Avenida del Convento. Mention you heard about them on Tipping Point with Zach Yenser for 10% off your next order on anything you buy. 
1994, the University of Arizona took the bold step of acquiring an industrial park in southeastern Pima County and transforming it into a university research park. With over 25 years of success, Tech Parks Arizona continues to advance innovation. Whether it's the nearly 60 startups at the University of Arizona Center for Innovation or the new Tech Park at the Bridges currently under construction, they are integral in shaping the future of Southern Arizona. Tech Parks Arizona, moving innovation at the speed of business. This is Bill Buckmaster, the new Tucson police chief at noon on 1030 Tucson's Voice for Trusted News Talk. And we're back, Tucson, and all of Southern Arizona, wrapping up our Friday show here. You're listening to Tipping Point. I'm your host, Zach Yenser. Uh, Matt, you know what we need after that conversation? It got heated. It was fun. It was interesting. You know what we need after that? little love burger or shake? We need little love burger. How did you know? This segment is sponsored by Little Love Burger. <laughs> they opened downtown last fall. They're serving up the juiciest burgers, loaded hot dogs, hub ice cream, milkshakes, local brews, and breakfast sandwiches. And some of y'all out there need some of that in a couple of hours. Go do it. You can follow them on social media at Little Love Burger and mention you heard about them here on Tipping Point with Zach Yenser for a 15% discount off your next order. Matt, I'm starting to think Little Love Burger is a part of the answer for world peace. We all so. want, we all need someone to love. <laughs> Don't you need some burger to love? Yes, That's right. you do. Tucson, you do. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Uh, I, w- I was going to try to talk about fun topics in the third segment. I was thinking, you know, what are the top five fun, cool things happening? We've been digging into policy and issues so much on this show, and I love that. Uh, but there's... I was going to talk about food, so that's why I mentioned Little Love Burger. That's food, too. We did have a story of a Florida bride and her caterer. They're facing felony charges for adding marijuana to the food served to their wedding guests at the reception. And you know how in the movies this is always portrayed as everybody everybody starts laughing and it ends up being a fun thing? Not so much this time. Many of the guests fell ill after unknowingly ingesting the cannabis-laced dishes served at a February wedding reception. Uh, there um, There was pasta salad and an olive oil and herb dip and uh some of the several of the guests had to go to a hospital and uh so these uh these these uh people outsmarted themselves and uh they're facing felony charges oof i mean that that'd be a lesson consent is still important you know, choice is still important. Right. Do not, do not force this on people. <laughs> so like in the movies, they portray it as everybody starts laughing and it ends up being the best time everybody had. Oh, right, right, Doesn't right, quite right, work right. out that way in real life, especially <laughs> if they don't know what hit them. Right. Oh, my goodness. That moment of levity brought to you by Matt Neely, who tracks these stories. <laughs> <laughs> and the smoking gun. Oh, my goodness. Oh, okay. Well, that that was helpful. I needed that. Uh, a palate cleanser for you. <laughs> Thank you. Oh, back to business. Uh, interesting piece out of Politico where uh, someone sat down with Congressman Ruben Gallego. And it's a wide-ranging piece. Uh, but everybody is asking him, uh, you know, are you going to run against uh, Senator Sinema? And he kind of hedges. Well, he doesn't hedge. He says, look, it's not going to be a suicide mission for me. If there's a path, I'll do it. And if there's not, I won't. I'm more about the Democratic Party than I am about 
you know, satisfying my ego, which I appreciate. And we'll see if there is a path. I'm sure I know he's I know he's looking for one. But he said this uh, about Arizona and it got me thinking about a much bigger picture. Uh, he says, honestly, she cinema, doesn't understand uh, Arizona. I think that's actually the real thing. I think she understands Arizona from a perspective many years ago. But she actually doesn't understand Arizona like what's happening. She's running based on past elections, but she isn't involved to see what's happening here. We have the largest microchip manufacturing plant opening up right now. We have all these biotech companies moving here. We have all these tech companies moving here. We have Latino young men and women that were 18, 10 years ago. They're now 28 and are starting to vote. So the perspective of politics is based 10 years ago. And she never adapted. She never understood because in order for you to do that, you actually have to expose yourself. And she's not one to expose herself to what could be like criticisms, unquote. So this is that is that was all Ruben, uh, Ruben Gallego. And it got me to thinking, certainly as we close in on August primary, certainly as we close in uh, on what is going to be a very interesting and heated midterm election uh, by the time the year ends, is I am starting to think. That neither political party understands the Arizona they're running in. And, and this perspective of Arizona made me think of it. Let's start with some of the data. Uh, and, and I'm not even sure I'm ready to call Arizona purple as much as pragmatic. Arizona is pragmatic. And that has shown up as purple. But it may not always be purple, but it's always going to be pragmatic. I think Arizona voters are incredibly pragmatic. Let's look at a few recent races. How did Arizona vote and how is that changing? Mitt Romney, when he ran in 2012, he won Arizona by 11%. And by the way, George W. Bush in uh, 2004 uh, won it by about as much. So, again, Arizona was for a while a reliably red state, reliably Republican state. And in general, if you were running for president of the United States, you could expect to win Arizona by 10 to 11 percentage points. When President Trump, uh, former President Trump, ran in 2016, he won Arizona by 3%. So in a four-year span of time, the Republican uh, margin of victory shrunk in this state by 8%. And here's something that uh, I'm sure Mr. Gallego knows, but should remember. The Senator Sinema won Maricopa per, uh, in 2018 uh, by 4%. Against Senator, uh, uh, against, uh, Senator McSally, sitting Senator McSally. I think I got that year right. I'll have to check. I'm questioning myself now on the air. But in the last election, when it was McSally and Cinema, Cinema won Maricopa by 4%. 60% of Arizona's voters come from the great state of Maricopa. Cinema won Maricopa by 4%. And, and, and so I, I think if you are a Republican running in this state or running for a statewide office, uh, this is not the Goldwater state of your father and grandfather. And, and that's just by the numbers. I'm just sharing the numbers. And, and, and I think a lot of Republicans are running a, uh, a, a Goldwater slash Trumpian mode 
when Trump in 2016 won by only 3%. uh, And I know this can be contentious to say this, but lost uh, by a, a couple, you know, tenths of a percentage point by the time we got to 2020. So I, I, don't, I don't know uh, if the state is turning blue, but, but it is by the data, not the Arizona of our father and grandfather. And I think if Republicans continue to run in this state like that, I think the implications will, will speak for themselves. On the other hand, Congressman Gallego's uh, idea that this is a state that has now begun shifting bluer and bluer, uh, I think is also incorrect. And I think we're going to see that being proven incorrect. Uh, We are uh, are now seeing uh, Latino and Hispanic voters begin to shift uh, towards the Republican Party. Uh, We have seen a direct response growing to some of the policies and positions uh, of the Democratic Party that are not favorable to the Democratic Party. Uh, I think there is a there is a shift towards the center uh, of many who would be reliably Democratic. Consider that the Hispanic electorate is two times more likely to vote Democratic than Republican in Arizona. But that is shifting. So, so, so I, th- I, think, I think Democrats think that Arizona is bluer than it is and are running as such. And I think Republicans think it is redder than it is and are running as such. And I think neither are right by the data. Uh, and I think we're going to see that play out uh, in the midterms in Arizona. I want to go to the phone lines real quick. I think we have, uh, we have Rich on the line. Uh, I've got about a minute. Rich, go ahead. Thanks for calling. Yeah, Zach. Uh, yeah, just first of all, I love your show, um, and I love the fact that you're balanced. I just kind of wanted to agree with a lot of what you're saying and kind of encourage cinema. I'm a registered Republican. I would consider myself kind of a centrist, more libertarian, honestly, but um, I've never voted for a Democrat in a um, top-of-the-ticket election before, and I plan on voting her for this year because I think she's doing a great job representing Arizona. I think she's done a great job of looking towards the center and maybe picking up some of those Republican candidates that aren't happy with their own party um, and representing more than just the far left of her own party. Um, and so I, yeah, I just wanted to agree with everything you're saying and kind of encourage cinema <laughs> and maybe encourage the, the party at large that she's doing the right thing by not just pandering to her base and actually looking towards what all of Arizona needs. So. Rich, Rich, I, I appreciate the call. Thanks for calling in and being open about your thoughts. Uh, and I, I'm really glad we were able to to fit this phone call in. My sense is that, and again, this is the political science nerd uh, in, in me, is I think there's a lot of riches out there. Uh, and, and I think, um, and this is just my personal opinion, Congressman Gallego charges that Senator Sinema doesn't understand Arizona. I think Senator Sinema understands Arizona almost better than anybody. But we'll find out in, in 2024. But I think there's a lot of riches out there. Um, and uh, that was a fun way to close. Rich, thanks for making the time to to call in. That's it for us on Friday. We're heading to the weekend. Hugh Hewitt's coming up. Bill Buckmaster at noon with the new police chief for the city of Tucson. I'll be tuning in. I'm curious. You should, too. We'll be back on Monday with Sam Kamak, reporter from the Daily Star. Lots to talk about there, about the city and county. You can check out our podcast on iTunes. KBY.com and Spotify. We'll see you on Monday, Tucson. Thanks for listening.